All right. Uh, thanks again for everyone uh, that is listening. This week we are joined by a coach that uh, I can guarantee you won more games as a head coach this past year than anyone in the state. Uh, and that's uh, Jeff Buffetta from Mountain Iron Beale, boys and girls head coach. So, Coach, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Brett. I've been listening to all of these um, while I take my walks with my dog and enjoy listening to them. So hopefully I can give a little bit of insight here. I'm sure. I mean, your job uh, coaching both the boys and girls, which we'll get into here later, I'm sure was uh, pretty taxing. I'm really interested to hear. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that coaches will be able to take from you. But first, as you know, what's your coaching Wikipedia page? How'd you get in Mountain Iron? And um, like, where'd you play and all that sort of stuff? Well, it's pretty simple. Um, I graduated from Mountain Iron Beale High School in 1994. So um, I played one year of community college basketball at Hibbing, which under coach Doug Schmitz, which I formed a really good relationship with him in that one year I was there and actually um, ended up coaching with him later on down the line and um, had a really good experience there and learned a lot about basketball. And um, after that, I went on to St. Cloud State and got my teaching degree. And my first coaching and teaching job was in McGregor, Minnesota. I was there for two years. I was a head girls basketball coach right off the bat. I mean, right when I got there, I got hired for it. And um, after two years of that, I got the opportunity to come back to Mountain Iron Buell. And when I got here, immediately the girls basketball job was open here. So um, here we are 22 years later, and that's, that's pretty much been the extent of my experience. <laughs> And so, obviously, as I mentioned in the open, you coach both the boys and the girls team. But this isn't like you're just some, like, guy off the street who's like, yeah, hey, I'll coach both teams this year. You've built quite the powerhouse uh, with your girls program at Mountain Iron Beals. So just talk about some of the ways that you built that program to be such a dynasty and some of the, uh, you know, uh, maybe how you structure your youth program, you know, in a smaller school. Or just what are some of the um, – how did you build that program up to be, you know, one of the most elite uh, single-A girls programs in the state? Well, when we got here, and I say we, because basically when it started, it was um, my brother, Brian Buffetta, and I started this program. Um, they were coming off a two-win season, and um, skills were lacking quite a bit, and there wasn't much experience. And um, we immediately put in our 12,000 mate club in the summer, and our first approach was to get everybody shooting. Um, that's turned into the 20,000 mate club now, because I think 12,000 is a little bit too easy in the summer. But um, I think the first thing was to attack shooting. And uh, through that first year, we were able to somehow get the kids to buy in. And, you know, we were able to get 10 wins that first year. And um, from then, it's just sort of as, you know, accelerated. And everybody wants to work hard in the summer. And I think that's the key thing. There's no magic potion. It's time. I think if there's a number one thing I can tell somebody that I don't know if I'm good at anything when it comes to coaching X's and O's, but I know what I am willing to do put in time and is and I think that's the number one thing to starting a program be willing to be there as often as possible and I think that's what we were able to institute right away um, we do run a K through 12 program here boys and girls um, obviously in order to do that you have to surround yourself with awesome people and um, we have we've had so many coaches over the years that have helped you know bloom our program from the kindergarten level on up and um, numerous names. Um, my brother spent a lot of time with me early on. He doesn't coach anymore with me, but um, a lot of time where we're working with those K through six kids and spending time with the coaches and helping train the coaches. And, and you just got to get everybody to buy in. And I think we've received great buy-in over the years, whether they believed in everything we did or not, everybody's bought into the system and has wanted to put their best feet forward. And 
I think that's been the key to the program and the key to our success. So how do you build up that community vibe within your program? Cause you know, you have, you know, your fans seem to travel well, you've had a lot of success and it, you know, sometimes in, you know, maybe more out state communities, teams that tend to have like a good group comes with through, right. And they have three good years and they're, they're back down. But how have you sustained that uh, excitement within your basketball program where, you know, the girls and all the boys are, you know, wanting to come back and wanting to get into it at kindergarten. I think one of the biggest things is the emphasis that no one is bigger than somebody else. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've had our star players come through here and everything, but um, everybody gets the same amount of attention. It's everybody um, is encouraged. Everybody's expected to do their shots. Everybody's expected to lift weights year round. Everybody's expected to um, show up to summer practices. Everybody's expected to travel with the summer teams. Um, I, I, and I say you can't make it mandatory, but the expectations are there and, I think throughout the program, everybody has understood those expectations. When I say everybody, it's parents too, because we all know if you don't have the parent buy-in, it's impossible to get the kids there. So we've had the parents buy-in, and um, even though I'm nuts and I'm willing to be at the school every second of the day, I've found that my fellow coaches are willing to do that too. And when the kids see that we're here and we're invested and the parents see that we're here and we're invested, I think that buy-in's just taking care of itself. And, you know, with that, I, I think number one thing that I know you just said it, you don't want to have that one group that you're relying on in a small school. Everybody sees that one group come up to seventh grade and, oh, we're going to ride that group. And they forget about the kids below them. So when we have our groups coming through, you ride out that group, but you pay more attention to the groups behind. You really put emphasis on your junior high teams and how they're doing and on the elementary teams and yeah, you're enjoying the heck out of the varsity team because they're winning. But I think you put more energy into the junior high and the elementary during those years than you do actually the varsity team. And I think that's been a key to our sustained success. You know, we talked to some of these coaches who are in the metro area and, uh, you know, there's games everywhere, right? You're a third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade traveling team. You can drive 10 miles and you can play any team, you know, <laughs> two dozen different teams within a five, 10 mile radius. And so how do you at the youth level get kids involved in um, tournaments and what, are, what does that schedule look like for your youth association, your youth programming? Well, immediately when I got here, um, I right away started uh, our Northern Elementary League. Um, so basically all of the schools in the area are involved in a league that I've organized for the last 20 years. And um, so we run that league free. It doesn't cost anybody to play in the games. We have um, game sites, I think six or seven Saturdays where they're going to play two or three games at that site. Doesn't cost anything. And then we usually end that league uh, about middle of January. So then teams that want to go further and start playing in paid tournaments and, you know, expanding their, um, the amount of teams they play and the, the quality of teams they play can go on and do that afterwards. And I think for us, that's been big. I mean, we, we don't really start the league till fourth grade. So we have our K through three is more on skills and, spending time shooting and ball handling and doing the traditional um, skill sets with them. For us, we do K through two is one night a week. And once they hit third grade, we start going two or three nights a week. And for us, fifth and sixth grade is five nights a week. You know, so we're trying to get them as much um, skills exposure as possible. And on the weekends, start playing games in fourth grade. And that league has really made it nice for everybody on the iron range because it costs money to travel and enter these tournaments and, you know, some of the people wouldn't be able to afford it if you had to pay for every weekend to play. So 
by having that league available for nothing and each team gets to rotate hosting and everybody has concession stands and stuff to make some money for their group so maybe when the league's over they can actually afford to pay for some of the tournaments that are outside of the league so are you running that uh those you know couple couple days a week of fourth graders five days a week fifth and sixth graders or do you have other people in place that will take the kids to those workouts or those uh clinics Thankfully, I have people in place now. I mean, there was, you know, when you start anything and you start things, coaches got to realize when they start things, you got to be willing to be there, not just for your own team every night, but for the other teams every night. Um, now I sort of, I have coaches in place for every age level, boys and girls. Um, two weeks prior to the season last year, we ran sort of a coaches mini camp for a couple of weeks. We did, I think, three nights each week where we brought in the coaches and we actually, all of us as coaches ran our base drills. We actually went through the drills so everybody understood our key teaching points and um, what we want to emphasize offensively and defensively. And I think it really helped get the point across. And then the coaches all know that whether it's me or my um, assistant, Byron Nagin, we're available at any time during the year. If they need us to come to their practice and help out with a point that they're not able to get across to their kids or to reinforce something that they're teaching, that we'll be there. So I think that's important. You just have to, you have to make yourself visible throughout the year. And, you know, we don't, anytime we host something on a weekend, we make sure as coaches we're at that. Um, if, and that's why I set the schedule, because if I know that I have a night game somewhere with the varsity team, then I set the schedule for early that morning. Cause I make sure that I'm at the, those games before I leave to the varsity game. And this year we were able to do that with boys and girls. We did not miss my assistant and I did not miss one home event of any of our age levels. So. That's awesome. So what are some of your core values of the girls program? I know you talked about obviously getting them into the, into the gym and spending time, but you know, what are things that you are kind of your non-negotiables or your core values that you ask of your kids? Well, I think the number one thing is just commitment. I think that's the biggest thing that people can learn. Um, we always talk about when you're older and you're going to have a job uh, being committed to that job and knowing that you're going to show up every day and you're going to show up on time. Um, we always laugh here because on time to me is 15 minutes early. Um, went to a grad party last week and uh, of course the grad party started at one and what time did I show up? Quarter to one. And as I pulled up, they all knew that I was there on basketball time, not grad party time because I don't show up late to anything. And I think it's just so important to get that value across to kids that, you know, basketball right now, school right now is their job. And if that's what they're choosing, if that's a job they're choosing, then you have to do it right. And doing it right is a commitment. You have to be, want to be there every day. You have to want to be there early. You have to want to be there extra because we all know in any job that you have, if you want to be successful, you're going to put in more time than the job requires. So I, I think that's the number one thing. That's good stuff. Uh, as you see, I'm writing, I'm writing notes down here myself, but not, now I want to get into the background of you taking over the boys job here uh, for this past winter and doing both the boys and the girls head coaching uh, jobs at Mountain Iron Beal this past year. So how, let's get into the background. How did this come about? Uh, and then what were some of the hurdles that you had to go through to make this a reality? Well, of course, obviously I've been doing the girls job for a long time and um, the boys' coach was um, Luke Winans, and Luke Winans took over, I think, our boys' program here the year after I graduated high school. So Luke had, you know, done a wonderful job. He brought the boys to three state tournaments since the 95 season, um, and, I, and he's also our AD and our FIED teacher here, and I think he had just figured, you know, that he'd had enough, and he wanted to step aside. And so I'm at a point where, you know, I have a, a daughter and a son, 
and you're at that decision making point well where do I want to be and I had a successful girls program going and as I was thinking about dropping girls and going to boys I just could not get myself to make that decision it's just so hard to drop the girls side so I started just throwing around the thought process of doing both and of course I talked to Byron because pretty much anything that we do basketball wise Byron's with me and um without his support and without his efforts coming in, I probably wouldn't have done it because it's not a one man show. You need, you need your help and your support. And, and then obviously I had to talk to my wife about it because that's a big family decision and, you know, being able to put in that time, but the people around me were very supportive. So then it was, well, can we make it work? Obviously the number one thing to make it work is you can't play on the same day. You know, the girls and boys, that's 26 games each. That's 52 nights. You know, and first of all, is there 52 nights available since we can't play on Wednesdays? And, you know, we were able to work that out. So then I had to sell that fact to the superintendent because ultimately she was the one that, you know, had to make the decision. And, you know, once I proved that it could be done and how we could make practices work and games work, I think they were on board. Um, Funny thing is, is when we got to the interview committee, most of the teaching jobs here and coaching jobs, basically the principal interviews, there's a one person interview committee. Well, when they went to interview me for this job, I walked in, there was six. So I had a six person interview committee to grill me on something that I've been doing for 20 years here, but uh, that was sort of interesting. So, but you know, I, I sold them on the fact that, that it could work. And one of the things that we had to do is make the practices work. And for us last year, if there was no game, Basically, we had early practice from after school until 5.30. From 5.30 to 6, the boys and girls lifted weights together. And then from 6 to 8, the other team practiced. So, you know, we were going from 3.15 to 8, you know, every day that there wasn't a game. Um, if there's a home game, we practiced with the one team who didn't play after school, which worked. And usually while the JV was warming up, I would do weight room with that team. And Byron Nagan would take the JV for warm up, and we'd get that going. And of course, when there was away games, that that was those were the tiring days because if we had an away game, the team who didn't have a game would practice at six in the morning. They would practice from six till school, and then after school they'd have their weight room. And then usually right after weight room, we'd hop on the bus with the other team and head to our away game. Um, once I showed that that could work, you know. Schedule-wise, I mean, sometimes maybe not mental-wise, but schedule-wise, <laughs> once I showed it could work, I think we had a pretty good buy-in from our administration here. And obviously, they believe in us, and they believe in the programs, the program that we've run here, and they were let, able to let me try. Uh, for those that aren't uh, aware, just be a little bit more clear, do you have the same, it's the same assistant coach now for both boys and girls with you? Um, Byron Nagin's my number one assistant. He does both. Okay. But then we also have a second assistant that just does girls and a second assistant that just does boys. Okay. Um, so they are available. And then we have different junior high coaches on both yep. sides. Um, okay. Our junior high coaches are a big part of what we do too, is we're a small school. So basically if you come to one of our varsity games, you'll wonder why we have five coaches on the bench because to me, we're all one, you know, we have all of our junior high coaches, our assistant coaches, everybody's there and we all have a part and, Everybody has something that they're um, doing during the game as part of our philosophy. And um, it's been really good to have the support that I have here. That's amazing. Just, uh, I, I was telling my wife before uh, I was recording this, she's like, oh, who are you interviewing today? I go, 
uh, gang gave the background, uh, Mount Ambio coach. Yeah, he coaches both boys and girls, and her jaw just like dropped. Like, what? <laughs> I have a hard time in the middle of winter with you coaching one sport. I can't imagine you doing two. So, I mean, just mad respect to you and your assistant coach for jumping in and doing that. I think that's just amazing and stepping up and um, <laughs> doing that's crazy. I, I have you down here for 38 wins this past year. Is that correct? Boys and girls combined? Uh, yes. Yep. The girls were 23 and seven, and the boys were 15 and 13. That's good. 30, 38 wins. Like I said, in my open, there's no coach who won more games than in the state of Minnesota. I think at any level, even get into the college level. I don't think any teams won 38 games and the Timberwolves didn't win 38 games. So I think you got that trophy for this year. Um, what was the feedback within your basketball community and then the Mountain Iron Beal community as a whole when they heard that you were going to jump in and take both positions? You know, it's hard, it's hard to say, but I think overall it was pretty good. I mean, people recepted it pretty good. And I think I think everybody was excited just to see what we could do. Um, a lot of people doubted it, whether or not we could do it. And, you know, I can't hide the fact that once in a while I doubted it myself, you know, you, you have, but it's always fun to provide yourself a challenge. And I mean, we all want different challenges. And I think when people saw how we attacked the challenge, I think people were very receptive and very excited. And um, the support we have for basketball in this town is awesome. I mean, I, Everybody talks about it constantly. If you go out in the town, they're always asking questions about how the kids are doing and about what the season's going to be like. And last year, both of our teams were just so young. I mean, I played so many eighth and ninth graders and 10th graders last year that, you know, I think there was sort of a buzz that just watching these young kids improve and knowing what we're going to have here in the future. So, um, you know, just everybody was just on for the ride last year and got to see I think the growth that both teams took and it's a lot of fun and a lot to look forward to here as the next couple of years come. One of the questions that came through on Twitter and I had written down my notes as well as practice planning. Did you find yourself replicating the practice for the early team that you did for the late team on those days or did, was there some sort of, um, you know, gray area or wiggle room with how you switch things up between the boys and the girls uh, when you had those back-to-back practice days? That's a good question, but because we are so, my two teams are so similar um, we're very small. I mean, on the girls' side, I mean, we everybody's five three to five nine, and on the boys' side, everybody's five six to six foot. So we're small. So because of that, the practice plans were about ninety percent the same. You know, very similar. We're doing a similar style because I have similar type teams. I mean, um, there's no doubt that in the future, if one team, if a boy all of a sudden walks through the door and is six seven, and we can adjust things and um, create a different dynamic because of the personnel, we will change the outlook of that one team compared to the other. So we're not, we're not afraid to be different between the two teams, but as long as our teams are similar types and similar styles, which we are, we're predicated off of shooting and running and defensive pressure. And um, we, we just have, we'll just be very similar within our practices. So last year, based on team dynamics, we were very similar. Uh, how does it affect your scouting and preparation for games? That was probably the number one challenge. Um, you know, preparation for games, when we talk about film study and stuff, uh, I work in the elementary, but our elementary is connected to the high school. So a lot of times I would just ask the kids, I mean, if we were preparing for a boys game, I'd say, all right, lunchtime, come on into my room. I'll have the film on the smart board and we're going to watch film for 25 minutes during your lunch period. And then the girls would do it on a girls game. And we don't watch film for every game. Um, usually we handpick the games we want to watch film for. But 
that was usually done at lunchtime because obviously we don't have time to do it after practice or something like that. Um, I had to do my approach. I used to be one, I used to be a coach that would scout every game in person. Many, like I listened to some of these other coaches you've interviewed, like the ones that would say I'd scout a team three, four times. That was me. I'd personally scout every team three, four times every night of the week I was gone. And so obviously we couldn't do that this year. So it was a lot of watching the year before's films. We have huddle. So we had crossover prior, the boys did too. So I'd watched a lot of last year's boys films to try and prepare for teams and would talk to other coaches that had played people. And um, during practices, we don't spend a lot of time on scouts in practice. I mean, we'll, we'll probably spend 10 minutes the day before that we play a team just talking about the one or two keys that we think to slow that team down or that team's best players down. And we were prepared for that, I, I felt, most of the time based on the year before's things and what we'd seen this year, you know, in a little bit of discussion we had with other coaches and stuff. But that was the challenge. And, you know, we've been trying to figure out ways we can attack that challenge a little bit better this year, even if it means once in a while an assistant coach goes and scouts and you coach practice by yourself or something. So, I mean, if anybody has suggestions on helping me out on that, go ahead and <laughs> let me know because that was a tough area. And having the kids have to give up their lunches to come and watch film, I don't think they minded because it gets them out of the crazy lunchroom and they get to sit here and eat their lunch and talk basketball a little bit. But, you know, you, you got to think of different ways. And that was a sacrifice our kids are willing to make. And sometimes they'd come in in the morning you know, we, other, we either have open gym every morning before school or you could watch some film before school. So they're coming anyway. So it's just utilizing the time that we have available. That's awesome. Uh, I am just looking through here uh, as I was preparing for this. You're, you're the week of your section playoffs. This is just nuts. So you had, and correct me if I'm wrong, a girls game on Monday, playoff game, a boys game on Wednesday, girls game on Thursday, boys game on Saturday. With that Thursday girls game being a section final, correct? Yes, we did. Which you, which you guys lost. I mean, how? Just talk about the craziness of that week and how you kept your sanity <laughs> through all of that. That's just that's just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, I, you know, the ultimate goal. When, some, when we first took this job, the ultimate goal obviously is to have both teams at state some year. And you know, people ask, "Well, that can that be done?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, it can be done." You know, the girls' um, state semifinals at noon and. It would get done around 2, 2.30, and the boys' section championship is back in Hibbing at 7.30. I'd get back in time, you know. And then you'd head back down to the state, hopefully for a state championship game the next day. So it, it's doable, but obviously that week in the playoffs, and, you know, and the girls, the girls has its own pressure as it is. I mean, I don't know if you know, but we were riding uh, – we, we were tied for the state record of nine consecutive state tournament appearances going into this year. And Cromwell by far had the best team in the section. We knew that. Everybody knew that. But you know what? We, we got back to the section championship for the 10th straight year. And we had a chance for that, that state record 10th consecutive trip. And there was a lot of pressure built in on the kids. And then, and then of course, people are like, well, if you lose, it might be because you're doing both teams, and which is crazy. That, has, that really had nothing to do with it. But you have that. So it was, sort of a, it was sort of a tense week, you know. And then you also want the boys to get as much experience as possible as possible because our boys team, you know, we were playing five freshmen at a time many times. And to me, every level you advance with a young team like that, the more experience they get for the future. So we were really trying to get both teams as far as we could this year. And 
And in the end, I think we did. Throughout all that and all the pressures that came with that, I think we got them both exactly how far they should have gotten. And now it's just trying to get them better for next year. You mentioned scouting, but how about in, within your own team? What was the biggest challenge that you faced this year uh, coaching both, both teams? Um, within our own teams, I think you're not quite able to spend enough of that personal time. I think we all know as coaches, you have to we're, – we're, we're about developing personal relationships, and I think that's why we all do summer so much because in the summer you can spend a lot of time and get those personal relationships. But during the year – when maybe you can take that five minutes after practice to sit and talk to one of your players that needs that personal time. You know, we were going right from one practice to the next. I mean, when the one group walked out, the next group was walking in and, you know, you, you lose a little bit of that personal time. And again, it's up to us to find better ways to be better coaches and better people when it comes to that. And I think that's one challenge within the team that I think we need to be better at. So Hopefully, I think we got better as the year went on trying to attack that problem, but there's no doubt we need to keep improving as coaches more. And those relationships are so important. What'd you find, uh, Anna, you mentioned you have a son, so I'm sure you've coached boys before. And you're, you know, in a, in a town your size, you're doing your youth stuff. I'm sure boys and girls are all mixed together. And so you're, you've coached boys before, but at the varsity level, what did you feel uh, were some of the similarities and differences when coaching uh, boys and girls? Well, I, I've been, I've had actually been coaching 17 year old boys for 20 years. Also, um, I've, I've had a spring basketball program here and I've brought, I've had 17 year old boys teams for as long as I've been coaching girls every spring. And I've brought teams down the national tournaments down in Florida and Arkansas and everywhere else. So I, I knew the differences, but I, obviously the difference is the play at the rim, you know, I mean, girls, you're not at the rim all the time. The boys game is so much at the rim and defending the rim um, is just different challenges that, you know, different emphasis in the defensive style of play, I think. Even though I'm a man-to-man coach probably 95% of the time, how we defended in our man-to-man, we had to make little adjustments during the year because it's just not the same with the girls and the boys in that aspect. What you uh, what this year made you a better coach? I I just think the biggest thing is just being able to manage time management, you know, being able to manage the differences in kids, being able to manage more kids instead of only managing one group of K through twelve. Now you're managing two groups of K through twelve, and you know I've had some experience with I've run camps for a long time, so I've had experience with running a lot of kids and boys and girls, but. When you have two groups of needs like we did this year, different needs, I just think we, you know, it helped me grow as a person a little bit. I had to manage so many different kids and so many different personalities and so many different coaches too. Sometimes we forget that, you know, the co- our coaches at the K through nine levels need us, and you know they need the support, and so you just doubled the amount of people that need support. And I think that's a big area where hopefully I you know, matured a little bit and got better with somebody with 22 years experience. You have to find areas to force yourself to improve. And that helped me improve in those spots. Now you mentioned earlier uh, that you're not maybe the, the best X's and O's guy, but you know what you do well, but you won nine section championships. You definitely know what you're doing a little bit on the offensive and defensive uh, ends of the floor. So let's talk first offensively. You mentioned that you like to run and you like to establish pace. And so what are some of the ways that you get your teams playing fast? Well, I think the, start, the way of starting to play fast is we're a pressing team. You know, we, 
we're always picking up full court, whether it's full court man or full court one two one one trap. Or um, this year we did some run and jump. So we, we like to adjust based on the personnel that we have, but it's always some type of full court, um, which turns us into our offense. And offensively, we always have a set transition. Um, we do have set spots in our transition, but it's a five-person transition. So, I mean, everybody's involved. We're just flowing to different spots. Um, about four years ago, I did put in the Rick Torbett Read and React. So we're a Read and React program now. Um, I, I liked it because of the rules. You know, there's the 10 rules to his Read and React. And even though it gives them freedom, they are reading and reacting. There are also some rules behind that freedom because I'm sort of a rules guy, which um, my brother almost killed me and we put it in because the year before we put it in, we were, I think, 31 and 2 in third place in state and returned everybody. And we went all summer, played a ton, and right the day before the season began, I said, you know what, we're going to change. We're going to throw in read and react. And I changed everything with a whole team back from a third-place team in state. So, But I, I really like how that flows from your transition. That's one of the reasons why I went to You really can't transition and be a sets team. If you want to transition, you got to flow into some kind of five-out, four-out motion-type offense. And we used to do the traditional motions, um, which a, a lot of read and react is traditional motion, but – I just like how it flows and you're going right into your rules and, um, and the kids know they're whatever somebody does, they know what they're supposed to react to and how they're supposed to go about it. So, and it doesn't mean that I've eliminated sets. We still run sets off of every dead, um, dead ball. And, and then our sets flow into the read and react. What do you do when a set breaks down? You just go right into it. There's no stopping. There's no dribbling back out which creates more pace. We're not taking that time that, oh, the set didn't work, so now we're going to back it out and run another set. As soon as something doesn't work, we're just going right into our five-out motion or our four-out motion, and we're, we're trying to get shots off. And if anybody, if you ever watch, or if you ever check the Minnesota record book or whatever, we shoot a lot of threes. I mean, we, our teams, I think we're in like the top seven and made threes three times or something when it comes to that record book that's out there. Um, so we shoot a lot of threes. Our boys shot a lot of threes last year. And I think it's the more you can spread the floor and work on driving lanes and you're either getting to the rim or you're kicking out to an open shooter. My favorite shot is the inside out shot. I love getting those balls kicked out and we make our players practice thousands of inside out shots because that ball comes out to you and you're ready. You should be able to knock it down. So I think that's how we create pace, just the pressing and the transitioning into our motion offense, and we're not going to stop. It's just there's no backing the ball out and taking our time. Um, sometimes maybe to a negative because we have a hard time. Um, this year with young teams, when we got down in the final three minutes, and you're always saying, go, 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 and then all of a sudden in the final three minutes trying to tell ninth graders, all right, now you can't go. Now slow down. Let's run some clock. We lost a couple games this year because we weren't mature enough to handle that transition mentally but we will be as time goes on that's music to my ears talking about pace and pressing that's you know how we like to play and shoot a lot of threes and um i love the idea that um you guys don't run a ton of sets except for off of dead balls because i think that's where coaches will get into trouble is they want to run they run around with pace but then it's that awkward like you might have a an advantage maybe it's just like a half a step advantage or maybe you're at a five on four but you all right, pull it back now and then lets the defense get set back up. And I think that's a really good or big idea that I think I personally believe coaches could take from this is that, you know, if you want to run sets, you, you, you can't run because it's just that awkward 
that three seconds of like getting the defense back and set up and everyone's kind of, Oh, what are we running? And yeah, I think it's great what you're saying on offense. And I completely agree with the philosophy. That's how we like to play. So it's music to my ears. Uh, this one came through on Twitter as well. And I, and you mentioned it with your uh, pressure man. So what are some of your um, teaching points? How are you, are you helping one pass away? Are you helping off the weak side? What are some of your teaching points within your pressure man as it pertains more to the half court? All right, before, uh, before I get into the half court, I'll have to give a little bit of credit to my defensive philosophy was sort of swayed about 12 years ago by my college coach, Doug Schmitz. Um, I was always a man coach, but when Coach Schmitz um, stopped coaching at college and he, he was at Hibbing High School for a while and then all of a sudden he retired from that and I talked him into coming over and working with me and the first thing that he brought in was this idea of his menu defense and with his menu defense, we were going to mix up our pressures. We were going to, part of our menu was maybe we would do a one, two, one, one on a make with full court man on a miss. Maybe we'd throw in some run and jump. Um, maybe we'd do a, our black on a dead ball, which was denial man, sometimes with a three, sometimes on the ball. So we were going to mix up our pressure, but we were always going to pressure. And I think that was one of the first things that we were instituting is just that full court all out being pretty crazy. But then in the half court, which we spend a lot of time on too, I and mean, we probably do more defense in practice than offense. Um, I think any of my players would tell you that. Um, we do a lot of breakdown drills. We'll do perimeter and post breakdown drills. Every kid has to guard perimeter. Every kid has to guard post stuff. Um, and we still are of the forcing sideline, not necessarily forcing baseline. I use the force to the doors analogy. Most um, gyms have doors in the corners of the gym we want to force to those doors we don't want to give up basket but we also don't want to give up middle so we're going to force to the doors and force to the half court line and try to keep people on a side um, teach those um, backside rotations we really want to be heavy on the backside and force skip passes because it's high school I don't whether it's boys or girls I've coached both um, at the class a level there's not that many players who can just make those nice zip skip passes to the other side for wide open threes i mean force them into that we'll recover we work hard on the recoveries from those skip passes um we're also really heavy on i probably use the term jump to the ball a billion times a day um wherever the ball's passed we're jumping to the ball we're getting in passing lanes we want to force people away from the ball not let them do cuts to the ball and i think that is basically the i mean those are the emphasis that's what we focus on um, whether it's full court or half court, those are the things that they're going to hear from me. You know, where we're for forcing to the doors, jumping to the ball, keeping people on one side. And, of course, whoever's on the ball is always pressuring. We are not going to play off the ball. I don't care if it's the best player or the worst player. We are pressuring the ball. How do you implement that throughout your entire, maybe not K-12, but 4 through 12, 7 through 12 parts of your program? Well, I think it's just getting the, again, training the coaches that these are the things that we're going to emphasize. Um, also, like, having coaches come and help at camp because at camp, even though I invite kids from other schools to my camps, these are the things we're emphasizing in camp. We do break, we do stations where we're breaking down and putting in those emphasis that you're going to hear at the high school level. So that way these things are getting in the kids. I mean, my second grade son, he's going to, he, he'll hear the word jump to the ball and he's going to hear how to catch and shoot. And he's going to hear, where you're supposed to force their feet a million times by the time he's in sixth grade. So I think we just got to make sure that your coaches understand the key teaching points. They're not going to hit everything, you know, but if 
if you can give your coaches four key teaching points for defense and four key teaching points for offense, they can follow those. And, the, and as long as they know those key points, I think it's going to make your life in junior high and high school a lot easier. Let's expand now to full court defense. What are some of your, where are you looking to get most of your steals? Maybe it depends on what defense you're running, but where are you looking to turn teams over uh, in your press? Um, really, we're not looking for steals. I think my main emphasis is, um, depending on what press we're doing, but my main emphasis is ball pressure and to force the other team into making mistakes. Not necessarily for us to get a steal and get a layup. We're trying – because when you face the good teams, that was one of the things I told Coach Schmitz when he came over. I am not pressing if we can't press the best teams. I said, I will not press until we can press at the state tournament or until we can press in a section championship. Otherwise, to me, it's not worth it. Why press if when you play a good team, you're not going to press? I, I mean, I know you have to once in a while pull, and I get that. But for the most part, if you're a pressing team, you should be able to press anybody to some degree. So I think that was one of the main things. So now not every team you can trap. So some teams, you know, if we want to trap to get the ball out of the other team's best player, or we'll run our black with a free to double the other team's best player to make sure it gets thrown into somebody else. And then we're going to ball pressure that somebody else while we're denying to the best player. We'll pick and choose. Or if we want to go a little zone trap to make the other team pass the ball to slow them down because it's a, I remember playing Marinette at the Christian Academy and, their heyday years where we were facing them in a state tournament like four straight years we just tried to zone press them to slow them down you had to slow their running by making them pass the ball laterally a few times and not just be flying the ball up the court so that's why we have our menu d so we're able to switch things up but it has some kind of pressure at all times it's good stuff um, you know, again, we, we press, we, you know, score a lot of points as well here in Princeton. So, uh, maybe it's the, it's the 169 connection that makes yeah. us, you know, play at that pace. Uh, I want to go back to one more thing you said offensively, and I don't, I don't try to jump around between offense and defense back to offense, but one thing stuck in me and I want to come back to it. You mentioned your set spots and transition. So are those interchangeable or do you number off players one through five? Um, for transition purposes, we do number off one through five but we don't necessarily always have a post player. So I try to tell, you know, you have to get over that. People like the kids freak out if they think they're a post player when they're really not. I mean, we don't have post players. I have five guards. I mean, I hope someday I have some six, eight post player. I can just sit in the, by the basket and throw it in there, but we don't. But for transition purposes, you know, we'll say, I mean, my, it might be a point guard. You're the four and you're going to, you're going to rim run every single time you're going to rim run. Or you're the five, you're going to take it out every single time, but you're also going to end up being a trailer where you might get a kickback three. So you just try to teach them through our floor spacing that we need these five spots filled, and that's what their numbers are for. So basically that's where our number – we number for transition, not for offense or for defense, just for transition. That's basically how we get our one through five. That's great. Uh, I like that. Last question here. Uh, What is one thing you would, uh, you know, suggest to a – to a new coach. Now you've been able to, been, you've been on the boys and the girls side. I know that there's different, um, it, it's, it, it can be different depending on what program you are at. So you've seen both of it, obviously with your experience in spring with 17 year, uh, 17 UAU level stuff and now coaching boys at Mount Iron and out with your, uh, obviously ex- extremely successful girls program. What's some advice that you would give a uh, head coach, regardless of the size of the school district? I think be organized. I think people will, 
buy in and believe in you and you and what you're doing. If you're organized and, and everybody's on the same page and everybody understands what you're doing. I think if people are wondering what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen this summer, or what's going to happen next week, there's too much indecision in that. And there's too many people that are insecure and unsure of what's going to happen. I think you got to be straightforward. This is what I believe in. This is what I'm going to do. This is when we're going to do it. This is how we're going to do it. And if you show that people buy in quicker and your players are going to buy in, your coaching staff's going to buy in and you know, you're not always going to be right, but if you're very sure in yourself and you're telling people that this is the way it's going to be, they're going to buy in. But also with a little bit of humility in the fact that you're not always going to be right. I'm not afraid. I surround myself with lots of um, great quality coaches. At one point on my staff a couple of years ago, I had four other former head coaches on my staff. And they all had a ton of opinions and they all, you can't be afraid to have that. I, I wanted to be told when they thought I was wrong. I wanted to be told when they had a suggestion or an idea. But at the same point, you also earn their respect in the fact that they know that if you don't take it, they're okay with that. I think young coaches too often are afraid to surround themselves with people of knowledge. Don't be, afra- don't be afraid to surround yourself with people of knowledge. The more people of knowledge on your staff, the better you're going to be. And that's, it's one thing that I've tried to do and I will continue to try to do that. That's great stuff. Coach, uh, 38 and 20, 58 games you coach this past season. That's crazy. Um, a lot of respect for what you're doing. Obviously the girls program that you've built up and also taking on the boys team this past year. I appreciate you coming on, uh, and stay safe. And if we can get back in the jump in the summer or back in the gym this summer, uh, keep working. And, and I'm excited to see, I want to see both your teams at the state tournament to see how that works. And I think if that happens, we need the Duluth News Tribune to do a little like journal uh, of your of your day of your day going from section state tournament to section tournament. So, Coach, thanks for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Brett. And enjoyed it, and I'll keep listening to these. These are I'm glad you're doing this. These are a lot of fun. Thank you.